Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Today I want to open with a question, and I want you to keep this question top of your mind as we progress through the next 30 minutes. Who is Lord of your life? Don't rush to answer that. Who is Lord of your life? As we navigate this series, The Sounds of Heaven, um, my my heart's desire for our people and those that are with us is that I, I want you to be looking at yourself. I don't want you to look at what is happening around you. And I also don't want you to look at what is not happening around you. But I do want you to look at what's going on inside of you. Sounds of heaven. There's enough going on in you that needs your attention. And uh, so to open up with, have a look at the image on the screen here. Uh, This is a really simple picture of how I thought my life would go. Am I the only one? But isn't it so true that this is really more like life's journey? We observe life and what's happening, and if we worry about what's going on around us instead of inside of us, then we often ask the question, where is God? Or, as I've been asking recently, What on earth is God doing? Am I the only one? No, I see that hand. But the thing is, and and Ash just totally led into this with her communion prayer, uh, is sometimes when life doesn't go the way we expect it to go, sometimes we try and force it. And... If I was being honest, which I am, my confession is sometimes I try and force it. And enforcing it, the front row's just in shock right now. They're like, we don't see that in you, Dad, at all. Right? That's what you're thinking. But when we try and force it, the point is we try and become Lord of our lives. Sometimes then we say, well, maybe we should just let go and let God. And, and uh, that isn't always the best answer. Because I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, in, this, in response to this question, does age equal maturity? Also, we might have to answer no. Because the truth is, sometimes we start out as a spiritual baby and we carry on through life as a spiritual baby. Now, don't tell me this isn't a problem. Because Paul wrote about it in Scripture. And if Paul wrote about it in Scripture and the Holy Spirit guided him to write about it in Scripture for eternity, it was going to be an eternal problem. Just because we grow older doesn't mean to say we grow up. And, and I, I want to propose to you today that the key in resolving this kind of question and this issue and who is Lord of my life is really found in the Scripture we're going to study today. 
Because I'm hoping that you'll find the key to spiritual maturity, which is the key to who is Lord of your life, is ultimately in the Word of God. And it's found in this simple statement. And we're going to unpack this statement today. We're going to unpack the statement that says, God is worthy. God is worthy. That's all we need. This is the answer to your life. God is worthy. This is the answer to your journey. God is worthy. It's, it's, it's our human need that supersedes our spiritual need that actually diverts us off the path or causes us to misalign our thinking with God's thinking. I mean, we're human beings. Because you might already be asking this question in your mind, well, worthy of what? What is God worthy of? And I propose to you that asking that question is unnecessary and, in fact, an error. Take, take Moses, for example. Let's, let's use a different question. Moses uh, is going for a walk in the, in, the, in the desert, and he comes across a bush that's on fire. The Bible says it was not being consumed, even though it was a flame. Exodus chapter 3. And Moses says, huh, I might turn aside and see what's happening. And then he starts having a conversation with the bush. And, 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 and he has this chat with God, because God's in the bush, and and he's on holy ground, and he's like, God says, I'm calling you out. I want you to be the deliverer of my people. You shall go to Pharaoh, and you should say, let my people go. And Moses decides that wasn't clear enough. And he says, well, when I go to my people, who shall I say has sent me? And God's answer is, I am. But note what's missing. Note what is unnecessary. He didn't say, I am God. He didn't say, I am eternal. He didn't say, I am sovereign. He didn't say, I am omnipotent. I am the God of creation. He just said, I am. That's all you need. And to add anything to the end of it, I'm saying to you, it's superfluous. It's an error. And to come back to the statement, God is worthy, full stop. God is worthy. To ask the question worthy of what is okay only if you're immature. Some of you remember uh, from previous messages and, and prayer times that I've been studying history of revival this year and diving into moves of God of old that I can find encouragement in and inspiration in and, and I've preached on it and I've, I've referenced it in all sorts of documents and materials and, and, and probably... Um, some of you might be getting sick of me talking about history. But I find history gives us clues for the future. And this man here, J. Hudson Taylor, born in 1832, it was prophesied over him when he was a child that he would be a missionary to China. Now, this is in the 1830s. You couldn't get much further away from China than where he was in safe little old UK. Please, please, please don't tell me that we shouldn't expose our children to the Holy Spirit when they're young. Why? It was prophesied over J. Hudson Taylor as a young boy that he would be a missionary to China by the time he's 15. He's committed his life and everything in him to being a missionary to China. He puts aside everything and only focuses on one thing. How do I prepare myself to take the message of Jesus 
to China. No internet, no Bible school, no plane, no hotel, but he goes. And his story is fantastic. Many, many, many Chinese people turned their hearts to Jesus because of this man who dressed like them, shaved his head like them, walked like them, ate like them, and talked like them so he could be with them. He's got some amazing quotes. I love a lot of them. And this is a couple here. Uh, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. I quite like that. God's work is done. Uh, when God's work is done in God's way, it will never lack God's supply. I like that too. There are three stages to every great work of God, says Hudson Taylor. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. And then it is done. It is not so much the greatness of our troubles as the littleness of our spirit which makes us complain. Ouch. But this one, this is the one that I wanted to share with you. Many there are who fail to see that there can be but one Lord and that those who do not make God Lord of all do not make him Lord at all. Now, if you've got a problem with this, Talk to Hudson Taylor when you get to heaven. But what I think he's trying to say, he's trying to say we should aspire to make God completely Lord of everything. We're all on a journey. We've all got weaknesses. We all go up and down like the image I showed you at the start where we have challenging seasons and trials and tribulations and we fall back in weakness and sin. Like that's normal. He would have had the same problem. But we must aspire to make God Lord of all. Anything less would be making ourselves Lord. Or worse, the devil Lord. So how do we overcome this? I come back to my point. God is worthy. And I want to unlock this and, and find some keys in this. And, and in the series we've called Sounds of Heaven, as Ash has explained, there are many sounds that resonate in our lives. And what we've done is we've pulled five of them out of the Revelation of John. Two short chapters, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. And what we're seeing is God is worthy. Craig explained to us last week in the opening of the series that the word worship comes from worthy of lordship. Meaning he is lord of all. Worthy of lordship. So I want to have a look at this. Last week Craig talked about the fact that God is unique. Today I'm speaking about the fact that God is worthy. And we find this, for those of you who want the anchor scripture, we find this in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Worthy, O Lord, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. The translation on the screen says, because of your will, they existed and were created context what's happening here John has this revelation this I mean I don't want to say it's an out-of-body experience because he doesn't tell us that but he has this vision 
suddenly become real to him, and it's beyond his comprehension. And Craig said last week, he has to use words like, it's kind of like that, and it's like this, because he's got no sufficient comprehension or, or, or vocabulary to explain what he's seeing, but he's seeing heaven. Let's just expand a little bit further. Go back to eight, the second half of verse 8. Day and night, these human, be- these uh, angelic beings, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, this is the throne room of God he's in. They keep saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. What I'm proposing to you today is in order to live a life where we truly declare, our lives truly declare that God is worthy, we actually find the answers in this verse. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? If you want an answer, because firstly, He created all things. It says there, you created all things. There is nothing higher than God. Anything that you can comprehend or think of or see with your eyes or imagine in your spirit, God's higher than that. Everything God made. And in fact, some say that creation is still expanding because God's Word never runs out of life. God created everything. Secondly, because it was your will. I love this, this, this thought. God has a will. God has a desire. God has motivation. He's not just random. He's not just going like a dictator and declaring the world shall be such. He's got a desire, an intentional desire, which I want you to have a look at in a minute. And finally, you and me, we, everything exists and we're created because God has what I'm calling intentional design. It's not random. It might look spontaneous to do, but there's nothing spontaneous to God. He's got his plan. So in this, we see that God created all things. He has an intentional desire for us, and he has an intentional design. What's my point? There's nothing like God, so therefore nothing in our lives should supersede him. Anything we put into our lives or hold on to in our lives that supersedes God becomes our God. Or in other words, becomes an idol. Mostly, my observation in my life and other lives, that's usually me. I'm the idol. Not things. Me. We've got to understand in, in wrestling with this that God is superior to everything. What, um, and, and the reason we exist, the, that He's created all things, the purpose in our lives is because He wants to have us live life with Him. He doesn't need us. But he wants to walk with us. He wants to live with us. He wants us, as Ash said, he wants to, he's done everything that was necessary for us to be in relationship with him. So he wants to be connected with us. He is God, and he's worthy of lordship in our lives. 
But, but more than that, we actually exist because God had intentional design for our lives. Like you may not have a plan, but he does. He's got an idea, and, and he, he, before you were even created, he imagined you, and he thought of you, and he dreamed up just how unique and special you were going to be. None, none like you ever after you. And God dreamed that up, and he says, I want to make this one to be special, unique, glorious, and just like me in every way, except that they're not God. We're personal, we're purposeful, but we should reflect him as well. We should be a reflection of who God is. This is why, you know, we have intentional desire. God wanted to walk with us, and we have intentional design. He wanted our lives to reflect him. This is what makes him far above all things. This is why the angelic beings that were kind of like this, but nothing like John could see or imagine, because he can't explain it, but these angelic beings fall down before God and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. We should declare God as worthy of every aspect of our lives. Hence the question, who is Lord of your life? So we we understand this idea, and you might say, well, it's easy for you to say that, and it says it in the book, but oh my goodness, I'm just struggling to even, you know, work out what tomorrow is going to do. And, and, and I don't even know who I am. So if I don't know who I am, how can I worship God? But we've got to understand that the Bible shows us the pathway, and it's because of this. In our lives, proclamation follows posture. The ability to proclaim God as Lord of all follows how you set your life up. Ash spoke on posture a couple, maybe a month ago, or inside the last month. And she said, God's not so concerned about pouring out his, his love and his presence on a person or a position, like a title. He pours it out on posture. The way you set your life up, the way you position yourselves, the way you stand or fall before him. How we position our lives determines how we live our lives. You can't say anything like God is worthy if you're not ready and prepared to. You can't make a confession that God is Lord of all if you're not in the correct posture. So how do we posture ourselves to be able to proclaim God is worthy? Proclamation follows posture. So in verse 11, we've got the proclamation. So in verse 10, we have the posture. So let's look at Hebrews, I'm sorry, Revelation 4 and verse 10. The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever, and they lay their crowns before him, and they say, worthy, you are worthy, our Lord, our God. So in this, we find the keys for posture. And the first one, you'll see it right there, is that they fall down. Everybody should fall down. That's the first thing we should do. Now, God is so majestic that a revelation of who God is should actually cause you to fall down. But when was the last time you fell down? We've got examples in Scripture. You only have to turn back or swipe back one page. Revelation 1, verse 17. John gets taken in this 
vision, whether it's a trance or an out-of-body experience or teleporting, I have no idea. But when I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Why? Because being in the presence of the majesty of God causes nothing less than falling down. I preached a message, um, I don't know, ages, a month ago, and um, Joshua chapter 5 Joshua's preparing himself for the battle of Jericho, and he's out there, and he's looking at the walls, and he's going, I've got no idea. Massive. And suddenly a man stands before him, and Joshua says, are you friend or are you foe? And the man says, neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Jesus himself stands before Joshua, and what does the text say? He fell on his face before him. The fear of the Lord, the reverence and the awe. When was the last time you fell down? In, in cultural terms, we can find meaning in it. And, and that they, would, they would lower themselves to the feet of the one they were honoring in order to show humility. They would say, I'm putting my face down here and, and, and I'm making myself vulnerable because I'm, I'm respecting who you are. And if you choose to, you can kill me. Culturally, that's what they're doing. Some people still pray with their face to the floor before God. You might be saying, I'm a bit old to do that, Phil. If I got down on my knees with my face to the floor, I'd never get up. (laughs) What about humbling your heart? When was the last time you truly had an encounter with God, a revelation of God, everything in you just emptied? And he said, I'm nothing before you, God. You can do that while you're sitting in your armchair. The second one we find in this verse is it says they worship him. We've had an amazing experience of worship this morning. And I was, I was weeping just in the presence of God and at the obedience of his people as we sang. Some of those verses you may have known, some of them you may not have. It doesn't matter. What I'm trying to uh, unlock in these next few weeks is the revelation that worship isn't about the song. It's not about the band leading us. It's about our hearts coming before God and complete yielding and glory to Him. David writes in Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Does that sound like your Tuesday morning or your Wednesday afternoon, Saturday while you mow the grass? I'm really hoping that you acknowledge this opportunity, this invitation to step into a place where you understand that you are responsible for your lifestyle of worship. And you don't have to do it alone. This morning we did it together. 
and it was beautiful. But for too long, we've looked at the one on the stage to say, gee, I hope you can do all right today to lead me. Because trust me, I do get the phone calls and the complaints where the band wasn't good enough and I missed out on my worship this week. And I cry and I weep when I hear that. It's actually not worship. It's not pure worship. Worship is something that flows out of our heart. Well, we don't worry about anybody else. King David writes these words, but you can read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 6, where he was just out of the box in his worship. In fact, he was out of his clothes. And I'm not suggesting that. Because his nakedness isn't the point of the story. What the point of the story is, is he didn't care what everybody thought. His wife ridicules him and he says, well, you'll miss out. Because you don't understand what worship is. Worship is about, I will make myself undignified before God if I have to. We have been invited to a lifestyle of worship. And actually... Life is better for us when we do. You might not like this one. But the third thing we see the 24 elders around the throne of God do, it says they lay their crowns at his feet. Anything we hold on to in this life has the power to become an idol that separates us from God. Now, maybe you don't wear a crown. Some of you do, apparently. Oh. Maybe you don't wear a crown. Maybe you do. I'm not sure. But, but, but what do you hold on to? You hold on to your job? More important to you than him? What, what about holding on to your savings and your security and the knowledge that you're going to be okay more than having faith in God as your provider in all circumstances? What about family, marriage, reputation, image, mindset, preconceived ideas, my plan for my life, God? And we hold on to it. Anything we hold on to has the power to become an idol that separates us from God and the life that he wants to draw you into. The one good thing the Pharisees show us is that we can even hold up righteousness and it becomes an idol. Perhaps this afternoon, sometime today, just get alone with God and ask Him a question. Is there anything in my life that I'm holding on to that has the power to become an idol? Because what I've found is it's personal. It's not generic. It's personal. For a lot of people, it's control. Sometimes we've got to give it up. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. You should have... No, actually, I read it wrong. It says you must have. 
You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He put his crown on the ground, took a humble position of being a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Let's have the same posture as Jesus Christ. Jesus was the son of God who became a son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. Finally, we should have this proclamation. Heaven is going to be one big party where we worship Jesus. Proclamation of praise. Proclamation of honor. Here's the summary of these four points for those of you that like to take a photo or notes, but I want you to listen to the words of Peter um, in the passage that's on the screen. 1 Peter 1 verse, starting at verse 3, all praise to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we can live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you'll have to endure many people for a while. Trials, people, same thing. (laughs) These trials will show you your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. When your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. These four keys here give us an idea of how we can live our life in a life of posture, where the posture we have before God enables the proclamation that God is worthy. As I begin to close this, I want to bring our thoughts back into the context of our series, The Sounds of Heaven. As Ash said, there are many sounds, many, many sounds in heaven. And I want to start by by coming back to the words that Jesus taught us when he taught us to pray. Because this gives us the way we should focus. And, and, And Stu led us in this prayer during our time of worship. Thanks, that. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The sounds of heaven will only resonate in your life when your life is a reflection of heaven. The sounds of heaven will only resonate in your life when your life is a reflection of heaven. We're supposed to live from heaven toward earth. 
Keelan read the verse out. Let's go back to it. Colossians chapter 3, in the first four verses, Paul writes this for us. Since you have been raised, past tense, to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Isn't that what John was experiencing? The reality of heaven and Christ on the throne. Think about the things of heaven as your priority, not the things of earth. For you died, past tense, to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God, who is in heaven. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will also share in his glory. What am I saying? Let's choose to think like heaven. Let's choose to believe like heaven is here. Let's choose to live like heaven is here. That that reality becomes our reality because of our faith to bring from the perspective that God has promoted us to. And so as, as we've done, and Ash just talked about this before, um, we've structured the series, The Sounds of Heaven, to have four parts in the template of what we do each Sunday morning in this series. Worship, silence, prayer, and the Word. And I'm proposing that we bring these elements into our life and in doing so live on earth as it is in heaven. What would it look like if your life resonated the sounds of heaven? One, You'd worship God every day, not just Sunday. How, what does that look like? What if, what if you chose to work in your job or study in your school as if you were giving glory to God? You dedicated yourself Monday to Friday or Sunday to Saturday, whatever your work week is, you dedicated yourself and everything I'm doing, I'm doing for the glory of God and it's worship. We would change this world. For some of you, and I've said this before, it might look like having a worship party in your car as you're driving along. As I was making my notes this week, I had this, this sort of uh, memory of the movie Mrs. Doubtfire and the late Robin Williams. Remember him and he's dressed up as the housemaid and he's vacuuming the room and the music's loud. He's having a party. Maybe that's your jam. Different song, maybe. But get your worship on at home. Make your home an environment of worship. Make your life a lifestyle of worship. Worship God every day. I'd also encourage you to embrace silence as a way to connect with God. We're doing it significantly in the, in the, in the, in the morning gathering as a, as a reference to Joshua chapter 6 and the six days they marched around the city in silence because God told them to be silent. But our lives... Are so busy, and our lives are so noisy. Is it no wonder we miss moments with God? Embrace silence as a way to connect with God. And one of the things the Lord challenged me on this week personally was He said to me, Maybe the potential problem is your prayers are too noisy. I'm like, I like praying loud. You're coming for a prayer meeting with me, man. I'm going to stomp around. 
And God says, well, why don't you stop talking and start listening? Silence. Perhaps it's time to speak less and listen more. The third one is prayer. And I've seen prayer go to a whole new level in this church since we started praying at the beginning of lockdown. We felt called to daily prayer twice a day. And for like eight to ten weeks, we were on the Zoom seven in the morning and seven at night. And we were praying and God was speaking and I had crystal clarity around what God was leading us into and leading us through. And since then, we've continued. There's at least five prayer meetings I'm leading every week. Not many people come to them. And I get despondent. And Craig encouraged me. He says, don't worry, Phil. He says, they're still praying at home. And I'm like, Flip, I hope they are. Make prayer part of your life. And you know, for me, the only way I've been able to successfully do that is to be accountable to others and pray with others. I mean, I can pray at home, and I do. But, but I've found praying with others energizes me. But more than that, we get agreement because the Holy Spirit that's in them is the same Holy Spirit that's in me. We start praying in alignment and agreement. And Jesus said, when two or three of you gather in my name and pray in agreement in my name, thus it shall be. So I'd rather pray with others. But whatever you're doing, please make prayer part of your daily discipline. And finally, Make the Word of God part of your daily life. Read the Bible every day. And if you've got trouble reading, you can download an app that reads it to you. So if you can't pronounce the words that are in Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Chronicles, well, that's a, that's a tongue teaser, then download the app. Make the Word of God part of your every day. As I finish... We're going to have a moment of contemplation. And um, I really just want you to rest in what God's possibly saying to you this morning. But while you're doing that, I want you to consider what's on the screen. Because often we say, he is worthy, therefore I will. And we make a list. But I want you to watch the screen because I want you to think, shift your thinking. What if what you did is you made a commitment, watch the screen, to remove the dots. Remove the list. And make your prayer, God is worthy, therefore I will. Full stop. Lord, I pray that your word would come alive in each of us this week as we contemplate who you are as we sit here and rest in your scripture that, that is alive and bringing life to us God I pray that our lives would change that our lives would reflect heaven and reflect you and God, in doing that, we commit ourselves to every day say God is worthy. God is worthy. 
seem to be having technical difficulties that we didn't have at nine o'clock this morning. But this song is the scriptures that I preached out of. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. There it is. A loose connection, maybe. Play it again. And just contemplate what God wants to say to you. Make Him Lord of your life. We 
we're, as I'm listening to these words of Scripture just being sung over us, I just got this feeling to remind you that Jesus wasn't glorified until He died, and that some of us need to physically respond in a way that would cause us to lay our crowns down, to become, as, as Ash talked about, a living sacrifice where we put God first in our life, where we say, God, You are worthy, full stop. God, you are worthy. I choose, I choose to make my life nothing and compared to your plans for me. And remember, God's plan is relationship. God's plan is intimacy. God's plan is His intentional relationship with you that you would live your best life. So as, as these words are sung over you, however you want to respond, before you go today, I urge you, petition you, to make this your prayer. God, I thank you today that your, your word, your scriptures can come alive to us as we read them, as we process them in our minds. But Lord, more than that, I pray that your Holy Spirit would richly add to us, would, would come and bring life to each one of us today. Those that are here in the room, those that are watching on the live stream, just feel to prophesy that there's people um, um, not even in this moment of time that are going to be watching this message. Might be a week later, you might be sitting at home now watching this on your phone and it's months after this date today, but God is reaching out through time and speaking to you. I just feel God is calling people back into Himself, that there's, the, there's, a, there's a group of people, we, we pray this often, a group of people that uh, were once connected with God and and now they're disconnected. And God's saying, no, I'm calling you back to my table. I'm calling you back to my table for intimacy because I am your heavenly Father, says God. And I'm just, just, I'm just, I'm praying that God's Spirit enables that more than I can enable it. So God, we commit ourselves afresh to you today. We declare our lives to be a sacrifice before you. God, we want to be a people who are known for living full on for God, that you are worthy in all situations and all circumstances and all aspects of our lives. God, we choose the posture where we fall down. We worship you, we lay our crowns at your feet and we proclaim, God, you are worthy of all glory, all honor and all praise. Just uh, you can sit and rest in that as much as you need to.
Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or our app. We are Zion people.